Welcome to PCA One-on-One, Positive Coaching Alliance's podcast series where we talk with leading experts about how to develop better athletes, better people through sports. And now here's your host, Jim Thompson, PCA founder and CEO. Hey, I'm really excited today to be able to talk with Ken Revisa. Ken is one of the top sports psychology educators and consultants uh, in the world. Um, he's worked with numerous uh, champions, uh, Cal State, Fullerton, UCLA baseball champions, NCAA champions, uh, worked with Major League Baseball teams, Angels, the Rays, the Cubs, uh, many other uh, professional teams. He's been a valued member of Positive Coaching Alliance's National Advisory Board and helped us with the content and the workshops that we do for uh, athletes, coaches, parents, and, and leaders. Um, I did a previous podcast with Ken about two and a half years ago that is fantastic. So as soon as you get done listening to this one, you should uh, go to uh, pcadevzone.org and look up that one as well. Um, he's written one of the best books on the mental game I've ever seen called Heads Up Baseball, Playing the Game One Pitch at a Time, and really excited. He has a new version of that book coming out called Heads Up Baseball 2.0, Five Skills for Competing One Pitch at a Time. And um, you can go to headsupbaseball2.com to order that book. Um, Ken, let's start with with that, the, the, the two versions of this book, 20 years apart. What's different about the mental game about sports uh, and competing today than it was 20 years ago? Uh, Jim, before we begin, first thing, thanks for having me here. It's good to be back with you, and uh, I just think it's great the work you're doing with the coaches and the parents and the children to keep the joy in sport because we can say whatever we want, but it really gets down to having fun doing what you're doing. And, of course, fun means different things to different people, and uh, we will definitely get into that. The other thing is I've had the pleasure, and I'm so grateful to all the coaches and athletes that I've been able to learn from over the years. I've just been very fortunate, and the information I'm sharing today comes from all of those coaches, students, athletes that I've had the privilege to work with over the years. But going to your question, when we wrote Heads Up Baseball 1 20 years ago, The major thrust of that book was, one, that the process is very important, more so even than the outcome. And two, got to play the game one pitch at a time in baseball, one play at a time in football, one possession at a time. And that ability to manage the moment was the key of, of that book at that time. Now, 20 years later, and working with a lot of athletes and coaches, Those foundation points of keep the process greater than the outcome, that's definitely there, no question about it. The idea of one pitch at a time, one thing at a time, that's still there. But the issue is one thing at a time, it's a cliche, you hear it all the time. But it's so simple, but it can be complex at the same time. We use the term in the new book, simplexity that it's simple, but at times the game's hard and your your mind starts going. And how do you focus on one thing at a time? It's not always easy. 
It's like an onion. There's layers and layers to it. Because as a performer, there's times you have to go perform with your A game, your B game, and your C game. And I think the big thing that this book gets into is it's recognizing which game you have and how do you perform with that game. Um, it's not about getting everyone in the zone and everyone's going to be totally dialed in. It's much more about learning to be comfortable being uncomfortable and how to have a good, bad day with your performance. When it isn't going well, how do you get the most out of it? So a pitcher in baseball may only have one pitch working. How does he get guys out with that pitch versus worrying about the pitches he doesn't have? So, with this book, it really gets into more of the complexity of the mental game, but trying to keep it simple. Two big differences that I see, Jim, and I'm sorry for rattling on and on, but I got to get these points out. Um, two big differences that I see. Number one, 20 years later, in this day and age, what I'm hearing from a lot of the college coaches, high school coaches, is we have to teach young people how to compete how to get it done, and that ties into the A game, B game, C game. How do you compete when you feel good? How do you compete when you don't feel good? Because so many of the kids are brought up with travel ball, showcasing, these types of things, where what they do is they show their skills, but they're not necessarily competing. And so to teach an athlete that is a big part of what the new book is about, as well as what does it mean to be on a team? I've heard many coaches at the college level talk about being on a team is now almost a skill that their players have to learn because they've been on so many different travel ball teams. Now we're talking about one team for the whole year and possibly three to four years. How do you, how do you become a team player? And the book gets into that. So those are the two big differences that I see, Jeff. You know, that, that's great, Ken. Uh, we we have a model we call the triple impact competitor, make yourself better, teammates better, the game better. And you really helped us think this through. And that second level, making your teammates better, uh, we call that leadership. That leadership yeah. isn't telling people what to do. It's making the people around you better. And it really is an issue if if you're jumping as a kid, if you're jumping from team to team to team, can you can you be what we call an elevator, elevator ER, not elevator OR, a person who elevates every situation they're in, uh, even right. when even when you're you're with a group of uh, other teammates for a short period of time. Yep. So th thinking about it. I was just going to say, thinking about it as a skill, being on a team, being a team player as a skill, as you mentioned, it really is a skill. Yes. And it's a mental skill, Jim, because if I can be supporting teammates and have my energy going out to teammates, it helps me get my attention off myself and be so darn internal and sometimes hard on myself that if I'm supporting a teammate, it gets me external. It gets me out there because we have to be out there to play the game. The game isn't played in your head. The game is played with your focus out. 
on what you're trying to do. Yep, for sure. Um, you know, um, I, I'd, I'd love to um, that that whole idea of, of getting your attention off yourself. Um, I, I got a question from a, a mom recently, and she said that her husband is usually a loving kind of guy, but when he goes to their son's games, he just kind of goes nuts and and mm. um, kind of embarrassing. And when she confronted him and said, "Hey, you know, you're you're not helping things out," uh, he said. You have to demand a hundred percent of people all the time. I think the implication being that his son wasn't wasn't giving a hundred percent. Any advice to? And I think I think there are lots of moms out there like that whose husbands are uh, well-meaning, but they're not actually helping their kids. Any advice? Well, one is I think the parents are trying to do what they think is best to help their children perform to their capabilities. The issue is sometimes they just don't know what that is. Because one of the things that we've got to keep in perspective when it comes to athletic performance is it takes courage to be a performer. I mean, this is where the athlete, the musician, the theater arts person, they have to go out and perform. They have to go out on that stage and as the ancient Greeks said with the Olympic athletes, you have to stand naked before the gods, fully exposed, and your actions count. And your children going out and performing in sport, that takes a lot of courage for them. And that's the first thing, I think, for the parents to try to understand in relation to that. The second thing is, what does your son or daughter need? What helps them with their performance? Um, that's, that's a critical part of the puzzle. Um, how do they work best? What, what works for them? Um, I've done this with coaches, Jim. Sometimes coaches tend to get very emotional, very loud with their players. I've actually gone in and videotaped coaches and then sat down with the coach and showed them the videotape. And maybe what the parents could do is just record the father or the mother who's ever being excessively loud or too involved and just record them and have them take a listen to it and see what they think. Um, that's something that pops in my head as you say that. Um, and another part of it also is, as a parent, I think we need to validate our children for not necessarily the outcome that they get, but how well they're working the process. When you say, when you said, Jim, you got to give 100% all the time, I would agree, but it's 100% of what you got at that time. It's like last season with the Chicago Cubs, when we played that final game in November 2nd in Cleveland, after 162 games, and I believe it was 15 playoff games, I'm not sure the exact number, not everyone, matter of fact, no one felt great. No one had 100%, but they were competing with 100% of what they had. And if your son and daughter is doing that, that's key. 
doesn't necessarily mean they're going to win or get their result, but are they doing the best they can with what they got? That's key to the puzzle. Ken, that's really helpful. Uh, the The idea that it takes courage to be a performer, wow, that's such a big, big idea. And I think as adults, we often forget, you know, our our 10-year-old yeah. son or daughter is out there and, and we're thinking, wow, we could do it so easily, you know, as a 40-year-old or whatever we are. Um, I, I went to a mindfulness workshop uh, several years ago, and one one of the teachers there said had this quote and I wrote it down it just it hit me like a freight train he said gentleness with self is the gateway to courage mm. I'm writing that and, down too <laughs> yeah yeah it's yeah. um and getting your attention off yourself if if you're harsh on yourself you're focusing on yourself if you can be right gentle with yourself, like you were saying about the new book, um, how do we get our attention off ourselves, on our teammates, on uh, on being an elevator, trying to elevate the situation we're in? Right. And I think one of the things that becomes important is to for the person to be able to, number one, take responsibility and be accountable for what's going on in that situation. I mean, I think that personally is the foundation of the mental game is the athlete taking responsibility and being accountable for what happened. And once they're able to do that, then you can move to the next part, which is to be aware and recognizing when is it that I'm too internal? When is it I'm too hard on myself? When is it I'm not on teammates enough? Um, and that awareness is a key part of the of the process. And of course, Jim, as you know, that ties into the mindfulness, just watching your thoughts and being aware of when we're hard on ourselves, you know? And um we put I put this into that responsibility, awareness, and then the next thing being having a mission, having a purpose. What am I trying to do now with my performance? And then the final uh, one would be preparation. How do you prepare to do that? What's your routine? When does it begin? Because performance begins before it begins. And those letters spell the word RAMP. And RAMP leads us to C, which is stands for compete. So if I'm doing those things, if I'm responsible and accountable, and as parents, we can help our children with that, if we can help with the awareness, because sometimes the child is so hard on themselves, they forget that they fouled off six pitches or played great defense or whatever the thing may be, and all they see is they miss the shot. But what about all the other stuff? And as a parent, we can help with the awareness part of the puzzle in terms of helping the child see that, yes, you did do some things right. And also, Jim... At times, letting the child know that he or she did something that was not appropriate. But when we get to that, you've got to do that in the right environment. Um, and you talk about this quite a bit, and I think you do a great job with it. But uh, one place we know we don't need to talk about it is the car ride home. Wait till you get home, right. let things settle down a little bit emotionally, and then you can get into it. 
But when I take responsibility, I'm aware, I have a mission, and I do my preparation, that's what allows me to compete and be external and out there, whether it's with the competition or whether it's supporting teammates. Fantastic. Yeah, you mentioned uh, working with the Cubs. Um, you, you're on a national advisory board, and, and you worked with mental skills with the Cubs. Uh, Charlie Marr with the Indians, uh, same kind of role. And those two teams ended up uh, playing for the World Series. I think of that when people say to me, you know, all this positivity stuff, that's fine for kids when they're young and the game doesn't mean anything, but when it's when it's important, when it's a you know, highly competitive situation, then that positive approach doesn't work. Uh, any thoughts about that? Oh, geez. Um, I've had the good fortune, Jim, of uh, working with Joe Madden. Joe Madden, the manager of the Cubs, we go back to uh, our early days with the uh, Anaheim Angels uh, in 1985. And Joe and I have worked together, and he's totally into the mental game. And here he is working at the major league level, uh, spin manager of the year. And what does he do when he first comes over to the Cubs? What's his thing? Do simple better. Do the little things better. Another major theme he keeps talking about, keep the pleasure of competition greater than the pressure. Is there pleasure? Definitely. Is there pressure? Definitely. But keep the pleasure greater than the pressure. And those are process things, no question. Matter of fact, with process, Joe uses the term, keep the process is fearless. The process is fearless because if I focus on what I have control of, then I can do something about what's happening. The outcome, I don't have control of. And then when Joe came over to the Cubs, one of the first things he did is he said, I have one major rule for the team, and that is respect 90. Run hard from home to first. Okay, Taking the little things and doing the little things, getting that good first step on defense, making sure when I put my foot on the rubber, I'm ready, that I'm here. Okay. When we got to the we got to the playoffs last year, um, it was fascinating because Joe's major message to the team was less is more. When you get to these games, it's about who relaxes first, gives themselves the best opportunity to win the game. Now I work in a sport, Jim. A lot of my I work in a lot of sports, but baseball is one sport and softball where before the game, the umpire tells you what to do. It's the only sport that does it. And what does the umpire say before the game? Play ball. Play <laughs> ball. And as we're watching this World Baseball Classic at this time, you see these major league players playing ball for their countries and the emotion and the celebration and the joy. Um, I mean, what a lot of my work is with professional athletes is getting them back to what they loved about playing ball when they were a kid. I can't tell you the number of players, Jim, 
that I, I take them back to when they played wiffle ball as kids in the backyard. The parents weren't even around, and they played for hours, and they just competed. And when they were out there competing, Jim, they didn't once think about mechanics. They didn't once worry about how the heck they felt. They were too busy competing. And so when you bring this up, I think that's the key to success at whatever level is you're able to go out there and play the game, free it up, and do the thing you love doing. And it's just as you get to the higher levels, there's a heck of a lot more distractions, and it takes a lot more focus and concentration to pull it off and not get caught up in all the distractions. Sorry, I yeah, really. Yeah, no, it's great. It really, um, being being in the moment is simple but difficult, and gets more difficult as the stakes get higher. Because you know, you, you you may be thinking, "Hey, I know I should be focusing just getting everything out of my mind and just focusing on the ball coming my way." Uh, but if we if I get a hit, we might win the World Series, <laughs> and it gets really hard yeah. to to push those thoughts away and focus on the process. And I think, I think, Jim, in relation to that, two things jump out to me that I want to share with the audience. And that is, as we learn, we go through phases. One thing is knowing what I need to do. Like you said, I know what I need to do. The next issue is doing it. Okay? You have to go out and you have to do it in practice. You have to do it in games. And you start doing it. The third phase is you have to own it. And own it basically means that I have to develop my system, which Mike Sosha with the Angels really hammered this to me, was the player has to develop his system that works for him, that gets him to work his mental game so that he owns it. And by owning it, you're able to do it in various situations, but you're also able to do it when you got your A game, your B game, and your C game. And... That's the ownership part. And with that said, Jim, what I'd like to share with the audience, and it's something we get into in the book, is someone was asking me about two years ago when I was starting the book, they said, what's the mental game really about, Ken? And we were in a restaurant, and I was served a chicken sandwich. And I said to the guy, I said, the mental game is like this chicken sandwich. The bottom layer of the bun is where my confidence is. The chicken, that's I have to go out and perform. The cheese, that's how my practice and training's been going. The tomato, that's where my body is at. Is my shoulder a little sore? Is my ankle bothering me? What's going on? The lettuce, that's my personal life. What's going on at school? What's going on with family? What's going on with friends? And sometimes that lettuce is fresh, organic romaine, and sometimes that lettuce is a little shredded. Okay? Then the dressing is the ballpark we have to play in. The top part of the bun is the competitor that you're going against. And what holds this sandwich together is the toothpick. And the toothpick is called self-knowledge. Knowing yourself, knowing myself, recognizing my signal lights when I have to go to something to give 100% of what I got, 
And also the toothpick is the self-knowledge to know myself when I got my A game, my B game, my C game. Now, the challenge with eating the sandwich is we pick it up, we bite into the sandwich, the chicken slides a little bit, the goo comes down our face, we've got to clean our face, <laughs> we've got to push the chicken back in, take our next bite, and the tomato slides over, and then you've got to move that back. And that's what athletic performance is, Jim. It's constant compensating and adjusting and that's where athletic performance is so much like life. And what our young people are learning from their sport experience is how to make adjustments. And with those adjustments, they get tools to be able to give 100% of what they got on the next thing they're trying to do. I wanted wow, to that's get great. That, that, that is a, I'm a, I'm a vegetarian, so, but I'll, I'll, I'll – uh, I put tofu in there for um, for the chicken. That's a fantastic portobello mushroom. Would do. That's a great metaphor. Let me ask you another question that we often get from coaches. Um, in the past, you know, when when we were playing, uh, we were kids playing sports. You know, for me, there wasn't anything I wanted to do more than get out there and play baseball, or you know, you know, spend the weekend in a gym playing basketball. Coaches right. now tell us. We've got I've got kids on my team who really don't want to be there. Their their parents are making them be there or mm. whatever. But they, what wh- what can you tell a coach who has a kid who doesn't seem to want to be playing the game? Well, I think one of the major motivators is the when I work with athletes. One of the first things, if I work with them on an individual basis, one of the first things we get into is why do you play your game and what's your passion for the game? Um, it, it drives the whole thing. It ties right into that responsibility, accountability part of the puzzle. And if the, if the athlete doesn't want to be there, uh, the days are numbered in terms of how long they're going to last. And this is where as parents, we need to be supportive, not just, if it gets uncomfortable, we're going to remove the child from the program and protect them so they're safe, but at least give them some skills, talk with them about the way they're managing themselves, the way they're controlling what they can control, so that at least they have some tools. The other thing we're seeing in the kinesiology literature, the sports psych literature, Jim, is Kids playing a variety of sports, this helps with the motivational level so that they don't burn out on the one sport. Um, And by playing a variety of sports, what we're really seeing is the young athlete learns to compete in different contexts, in different environments. It's different competing in a sport like basketball or soccer versus baseball or softball. And but the kids are learning these skills and it excites them. And sometimes the kid needs to take a break from it. So those are a couple of things I would say. The joy has got to be there. Yeah, I remember um, Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers, gave a talk once where he talked about this this guy who started teaching in an inner city school, I think in Harlem, and he was really interested in chess 
and the teachers all said, "Hey, these kids are you know they're not they're not going to be interested in chess." And but he followed his passion, and he got a whole bunch of kids interested in chess, and that school became known as a really powerful chess school, even though it was made up of yeah, kids who didn't come from the kind of background you would think would be chess. So well, from right. that, I've always taken if I'm really enthusiastic about something. Uh, com- communicating that enthusiasm can sometimes rub off on on the kids I'm coaching. Yes, yes. And Jim, one thing we want to be clear with here is when we say fun, fun doesn't mean everyone's laughing, goofing around, uh, telling jokes. Fun is also learning. I th- I personally think you can have fun with a tear in your eye at times. Because when you're pushing the envelope but trying to be the best you can, it's not easy. And you go through the struggle. Once again, we're back to life. And you go through the struggle, but, man, you may do it with a tear in the eye, and in the end you feel pretty good about it. Um, it's not all you – know, this isn't a um, – at the college level, I tell the college teams, this is not a sorority or fraternity. You guys have to go out and you have to perform. It's not going to be easy, you know, and it's not just uh, we're having a good time. Um, Now, at certain levels, Jim, it's about having a good time because one of the things, and we talked about this earlier, that we forget as coaches and parents is I can talk about the Chicago Cubs in the World Series, but for an eight-year-old stepping up to the plate with with people in the stands, that's his or her World Series. They're going through a similar physiological reaction. I mean, on the final game of the World Series, there was a fascinating clip on national TV during the game where the camera zoomed in on David Ross and Anthony Rizzo, the young player, is coming over to David Ross, the veteran, And Anthony comes over to him and he says to him, I am freaking out. And Ross turns to him and says, breathe. And Rizzo (laughs) says, but I'm an emotional wreck right now. And David Ross turns to him and says, it's only going to get worse. Keep breathing. I mean, and that's in that environment. And that's for our children. No. Is there pressure? Yes. Is there joy in that pressure? Definitely. For some kids. For others, hey, it may be too much, and your children are going to let you know. And that's where you got to be a good listener. No question. You know, you know Ken, since I, I started uh, practicing mindfulness meditation and focusing on the breath, um, you know, attention my attention wanders so much, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to follow my breath in and out for three, three breaths. And often I can't get to that third breath because, because I'm already thinking about some other things. Uh, yes. But it's great. If I'm, if I'm focused on my breath, I can't be worried about other things in that moment. And so it's, it's great. a great practice. I love that David Ross said, breathe. That's uh that's great. And hey, I I've got a, yeah, go ahead. In, go ahead. In relation to that, Jim, I want to say this and make sure it gets out there for people. I've been doing this for 35 years, worked with all these athletes, and 
most powerful tool that I use with an athlete is the breathing. Because what does the breath do? The breath, number one, brings oxygen to the brain so you can think clearly. Two, the breath brings you into the present moment. Three, the breath, when you need energy, you focus on the inhalation. When you need to calm down, you focus on the exhalation. Five, the breath is the start of good rhythm. So the breath is a powerful tool, and I've had more. My last three Olympic Games, when I debriefed the athletes, so many of them, when I asked them, what's the most effective thing we talked about, came back with the breathing and how the breath was a tool that they could use. And it's like, you know, we were talking earlier, Jim, about when does one pitch end, when does, how do we play one pitch at a time? Well, one pitch at a time is like one breath at a time. But the question that I asked a baseball player is, okay, you want to do one pitch at a time? Here's my question for you. When does the last pitch end and the next pitch begin? Because in baseball, you make a pitch, and I'm going to clap my hands. Here's the pitch. Boom. Strike. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 12, 13, 14, 15, there's the next pitch. That space in between, that's where the mental game is. That's where we have control. That's where we've got to get the information from the last thing that happened, get ready for the next thing, and then step in and be ready to give 100% of what we got to take care of that next pitch. You know, just thinking that's 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 amazing. The thinking about the mindfulness for me and, and focusing on my breathing, my um you know, the they say about getting on uh edge of the envelope and you know, getting uh, on the edge of your comfort zone. I think what what the mindfulness meditation has done for me is it's expanded my comfort zone so I can handle more yeah. pressure now than I ever could before I was doing this. And you, you said uh, in our earlier uh, podcast about uh, the, it's kind of, it can be kind of a, uh, a cruel joke in a way. Um, if you're, if you, if you're really good at something, then what happens? You, you get, you make the all-star team and then you're playing against better people. So the pressure continues to climb with you as you're more successful. Yes. Yep. And it keeps going. And in baseball, if you're batting ninth and you get hits, they move you up in the order. I mean, it, it's the way it is. But we got to keep the pleasure greater than the pressure. And the pleasure is, why do we do what we do and what do we love about it? That becomes huge to the puzzle. No question. Yeah. And, and Jim, the other thing with the breath that I want to go back to is, let's talk to... Take the breath, for example, for the parent who goes to the game and sometimes they know they shouldn't behave the way they do, but when they get there, they get all emotional. They've got to, they can work their breath as a parent when they're watching. You know, they can stay on top of, because when they start yelling and screaming, are they, can they even breathe? I mean, if, they can start using it like you're talking of the mindfulness meditation that you've been doing. 
And then it sounds to me, Jim, like you're taking that and you're incorporating that mindfulness into some of the different things you do throughout the day. And that's what the well, that is do at times. Yeah, that is our our mission statement. We after 15 years or so, we boiled it down to four words for positive coaching lines, better athletes, better people. So yes, if, if, if I'm not taking that into my life, then I'm missing an opportunity. And if, if coaches aren't helping kids develop mental skills in the game that they can then transfer to, um, to beyond sports. And one of the things that really surprised me is the research tends to show that kids on their own typically don't transfer skills from one arena to the other. So if a kid works really hard to work on her left-handed dribble and left-handed layups and then gets better at it. They don't necessarily think, oh, if I worked this hard on my math, I would do better in math. And so one of the things we encourage coaches to do is is to make that connection for kids. Wow, you really worked hard on, on dribbling with your left foot. If you work that, what would it be like if you worked that hard on, on your schoolwork to, uh, to help them make right. that connection? Yeah. And this is something, Jim, that I, uh, I have found. Uh, I taught at Cal State Fullerton for 38 years. And then I retired two years ago. And I have more ex-students, ex-athletes that have come to me when reunions and different things and They've come up to me and they go, Ken, you remember me? And I had them 20 years ago as an athlete. And they say, I'm using that stuff we talked about on the athletic field more in my life today than I ever did as an athlete. And to me, that's what it's all about. And for the coaches out there, sometimes you're sitting there talking to those kids, wondering if they're getting it. And sometimes as a parent, you're talking to your son or daughter, and you're saying what you say, and they're sort of blowing you off. Well, sometimes they're hearing the words. I can't believe I have two daughters. They're now in their 30s. They went through the youth sports, and I can't believe the number of times that they say to me, Dad, remember when you talked about this with us? And I said, yeah, I didn't think you were paying attention. They said, well, we couldn't show you <laughs> were paying attention, you know, but we were hearing right. you. They um, couldn't show it. That's fantastic. Yeah. And, hey, um, and co- go ahead, Ken. I'm sorry. I got a couple, a couple more questions here. One is, uh, again, going back to youth sports, I talked to a friend of mine last night uh, at you know, we both had full days, and so it was 7.30 at night when I called him, and he was just dropping off his son at soccer practice, not picking him up at 7.30 at night. He was dropping him off at soccer practice, and he's a very his son is a very good soccer player, and he's in this elite program, uh, and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's designed to help the United States compete in, in football around the country, around the world, and get our best kids really focusing on on playing soccer and 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 developing them. How 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 do we? I mean, I think everybody I talk to who knows anything about this says specialization, early specialization, is harmful, and kids become better athletes, and I think better people too, if they if they play multiple sports. 
how do how do we reverse that trend of the the early specialization? Any thoughts? I I think what you're the research is really showing us, Jim, exactly what you're saying. That the kids, if they have the multiple sports, they're learning they're learning new stuff about the sports, which keeps them engaged, which keeps them motivated. Sometimes a different group of people that they're interacting with, which is always good. And they're learning to compete in a variety of sports. Now, the hard thing for the parent is how do you deal with that when, hey, to be on this elite team and then to get the college scholarship, um, my son or daughter needs to be doing this. And that's got to be something that the family's got to sit down and really have a discussion because also – Sometimes there's other siblings, maybe three other children in the family, and this one is getting all the attention to do that. What happens to the others? And that's got to be a family discussion and interaction that's involved. And also with that kid, with the child who is doing it at the elite level, I think it's very important also that there is some diversity in other things that he does so that he or she is not just the soccer player or the basketball player, but they are doing other activities in their community with their religious affiliation, whatever they're doing. Uh, So they're not just the athlete. Because one of the things that becomes critical is we've got to keep ourselves greater than our performance. Our performance does not dictate who we are. We are a human being, and one of the things we do is we perform in sport at whatever level. And as a parent, we've got to keep that balance in our children, so whichever way we can do it. Yep. Wow. Well said. Well said. Uh, Ken, uh, last question. Um, You had the opportunity to be working with the Cubs when they had their historic year, was there one moment uh, that you re- most remember about working with the Cubs this past year when they when they won the World Series that you'd like to share with our listeners? I think the one moment that stands out the most to me is um, when we were playing Cleveland in the final game and we had the rain delay and the players came in. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I was in the office. Joe, came, Joe Madden came in and a couple of his coaches, and we were talking in the office. And all of a sudden, the clubhouse emptied, and it was quiet. All the players went down to the weight room. And one player, Jason Hayward, who was a player that was not having the greatest playoffs, and matter of fact, I believe he struck out twice in that game, he called the meeting got all the players down there, and he talked to the team about how they were going to pull this off. And it was just beautiful afterwards to see, here's a guy that isn't performing up to his what he wants to do, and yet he let his leadership step forward and was more concerned about the team than worrying about his performance. And that's a real leader to me. And in my years of doing this, I can count about five guys that can lead when they're not performing well. And that wasn't something at the moment that I realized, Jim. But afterwards, when I heard about it, that's what stands out for me 
with the World Series thing. It was just unbelievable that this that Jason could stand up like that. And man, if young people could do that, and it's everything we've been talking about today with team first, keep the team greater than you. No question. So that's what jumps out at me, Jim, when you asked me that. Thank you. Yeah. Leading when you're not performing well, that's, uh, that's a real challenge and something oh, yeah. I think we can all, all aspire to. Ken, it's, um, it's fantastic to talk with you again. Really excited to uh, read your new book, um, Good. Heads Up Baseball 2.0. I, I got so much from the, the book that you wrote 20 years ago. And so can't wait to do that again. And I want to thank you so much for all the ways you've helped Positive Coaching Alliance uh, get uh, get material and ideas out to kids and coaches and parents to help make you sports a character-building experience for kids. Great. And it's been great contributing, and I'm looking forward to what we're going to be doing in the fall. So that's exciting. Ken, thanks so much. Thanks for joining us on this episode of PCA One-on-One. Be sure to visit PositiveCoach.org to download more podcasts.